Krishna Vrinda ki jai, Namacharya Shilaharidas Takur ki jai, Prem Shikahoshi Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nichananda Shidoita Gadadhar Shivasadi Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Shishi Radha Krishna Gopina Shaina Makunda Radha Kundigiri Govardhana ki jai, Vrindavan Dhamma ki jai, Matura Dhamma ki jai, Navadrit Mayapur Dhamma ki jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma ki jai, Gangamaya Juna Devi ki jai, Bhakti Devi ki jai, Tulsi Maharani ki jai, Samaveta Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanande, all glories to the assembled devotees, all glories to the assembled devotees, all glories to the assembled devotees, all glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga, all glories to Srila Prabhupada, Namaha, Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale, Srimati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namane, Namaste Sarasvati Deve, Gauravani Pacharani, Nivasesa Sindhivani Paskatyade Satani. Monday, Ham Shri Guru, Shri Uttam, Padakamalam, Shri Guru, Vaishnavam, Shri Uttam, Sabrajat, Tam Sagana, Ravanatam, Vitam, Tam Sadiva, Sadvaitam, Sadvadutam, Padachana, Sahita, Krishna Chaitanya Deva, Shri Radha, Krishna, Padam Sahagana, Lavita, Shri Vishakam, Vitam, Shtam, Manchapapatibhishtam, Kipasanabhiyavatam, Patichanam, Pavanegra, Vaishnavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavav
Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says, the daughter of Jarasandha and others who were married speak in two verses. Along with our houses and offspring, we have also been killed. And Sanatana Goswami, his commentary is, they each addressed their dead husband among all those who lamented, or the chief wives, those of Kamsa, lamented. Ha indicates great difficulty. O most compassionate, Karuna Nata. O affectionate one, Vatsala. You know what a Vatsa is? Vatsa is a calf. Just like we talk about children, we call them what? Kids. So in Sanskrit, they call them calves. You know, can you bring your calves to the picnic today? It means like, can you bring your kids? Or, O oh, compassionate one, Karuna, O oh, affectionate to persons without shelter, Anatta Vatsala, the addresses are progressively more excellent. By your complete death, Ahate, we die. Or even slightly wounded, we, along with our children, die completely. We had taught what to speak of your dying. Okay, we're going to go on. I, I just didn't want to just talk about glorification of Kamsa, so I hope you'll excuse me. <laughs> Especially since my last class at Hillsborough, I didn't want to like, how do we remember Umlaj? Glorified Kamsa. So I was just like, right. mm, last class. Mm, well, for a while. So and there was no BBT per board, so I got an excuse, right? 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 Don't report me to whoever the Shastra police are. So we're going to go on to 46. Twaya Virahi Tipatya. Puriyam Pusharshava, Nashobate Vayam Eva, Nirito Sava Mangala. O great hero among men, bereft of you, its master, this city has lost its beauty, just as we have, and all festivity and good fortune within it has come to an end. Okay, so read for Sanatan, and Jiva Goswami is about the same subject, being his. The city is without festivals and auspicious singing and dancing, since you have been separated from us permanently, Virahita. Your qualities are not present in anyone else, Pushar Shiva. The words also have a negative meaning. Now, this is really interesting. So, those who were here before, you remember when Kamsa was criticized, those of you who were here before, you know, remember when Kamsa was criticizing Krishna and Balaram and the Acharyas turned it around to positive meanings, right? Okay, so this. <laughs> Because the wives are glorifying Krishna, glorifying Kamsa, the acharyas are turning it around to negative meanings. Don't try that at home. You know, it's not like, like each of us should take the Shastra and turn it around to mean something opposite of what it says. The words also have a negative meaning. Anatta priya dharma gna karunanatta vatsala may be taken as one word. O oh, wretched, with no affection, no knowledge of dharma, no mercy, and without compassion for the wretched. Rishabha refers to a musical note, a medicinal herb, a bull, and also means excellent. O oh, devious man, does not the city look wonderful without you? I'm sure the women didn't intend that. So that Tango Swami just got a little he didn't want to glorify Kamsa either. You know, he was having the same problem. <laughs> okay, let's go on to text 47. Anagasam twambhutanam kritavan droham ubalam 
Tene mambo the samnito buddha drip ko love the sum. Oh dear one, you have been brought to this state because of the terrible violence you committed against innocent creatures. How can one who harms others attain happiness? BBT purport. Having expressed their sentimental grief, the ladies now speak practical wisdom. They are beginning to see things realistically because their minds were purified by the agony of the recent events and by the association of Lord Krishna. Now that's practically verbatim Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's commentary, so we're not going to read his. If he were an excellent person, how could he die so miserably? You committed excessive violence to sinless beings, O king of the demons. But he might come, some might say. But that is not a sin for demons like me, dedicated to yen. And the wise would reply, there's no happiness or auspiciousness for the violent person. And let's look at Jiva Goswami here. Jiva Goswami says, Some women who lamented along with the others just as a matter of material custom, understanding the truth, speak in two verses. This in the next one. You committed excessive violence to sinless beings, making them die with great suffering. So here we see something unusual, right? Kams is glorified in two verses, and then he's condemned in one verse. And I was looking at uh, Mandodari and Ravana's queens lamenting at his death, and they glorified him a little bit, but mostly they condemned him. Mostly they said, your body is fit to be eaten by vultures and your soul fit to go to hell. You know, they loved him. It wasn't that they didn't love him, but they did say something similar like, you know, the city can't enjoy without its master. You know, the, the city's lost everything and we've lost everything. So it's not that they didn't love him. And I was thinking that it would be very, very easy to just say, well... Which, which would be supported by Vishnu Chakravati Thakur and to some extent by Jiva Goswami. It would be very easy just to say, well, these women who were glorifying Kamsa were just idiots. <laughs> they were just sentimental. They didn't see him for what he really was. I thought, well, that, that's easy. But perhaps there's something else here as well, and that is that all of us actually have all good qualities and that our demoniac nature is an artificial covering. And this is a major question. So as an educator, when you're looking at what they euphemistically call classroom management, which basically means getting children to behave as if they're humans rather than animals. <laughs> you know, children don't have a lot of sense control, right? Or a lot of, they don't have a lot of innate consideration for others, right? I like your toy, I'm taking it for myself. That's the way most children think. So there's underlying philosophies of classroom management. One is that human beings are innately good, but have become polluted externally. Another is that humans are innately bad, and uh, we have to just like remake them, reform them completely. And another is that human beings are just neutral, and you can make them good or bad. So the prevalent Christian philosophy is that we are innately bad. Right? We didn't exist before this life. And we were born from sin and we're simply sinful creatures. We're just really nasty, sinful creatures. And we have to be kind of smashed and bashed and, you know, melted and reformed 
in order to become good creatures, yes. That's, that's basically the prevalent Christian philosophy. Most Christian sects adhere to that philosophy, which is why you'll find that uh, the Christian mood is very punitive. Have you noticed this? Like it's, it's, a, it's a really, really punitive, punishing, heavy mood. And then you have kind of the, what we call nowadays the woo people, you know, the spiritual people. And they're like, we're all innately good, and what's making us bad is society. You know, and, and especially religions like Christianity are making us bad, you know. So any religion that says that we're bad is what's making us bad. Actually, we're all good, and you should just let children do whatever they want. And if you just let children do whatever they want, they'll just be good because they're naturally good. And then there's people who say, you know, well, we're, we're actually not anything but matter. Right, just in some primordial suit, some atom somehow became conscious of himself and started reproducing. Interesting concept. So we're just nothing. And whether we're good or bad is entirely according to our environment. So our Vedic philosophy is that we are good. We actually have the qualities of God. We have most of the qualities of God. However, our evil is not so much the result of our environment, but the result of our poor choices, that we are covering ourselves in, in evil. And then there's a process of removing the evil and making the good be available. And one way we know that this is true, we were talking yesterday about how do we know what's true, right? One way we know this is true is that even in the most evil Persons and the most evil beings and the most nasty beings, there are moments when good manifests and kind of good flickers, isn't it? Yes? Okay. Something. There'll be some indication, at least to somebody. So I want to look at the fact that we are, we're all good and then the fact that we're all bad and then what do we do about this. So we're all good. We have... Uh, of the 64 qualities of Krishna, we have 50 of them. Anybody know what some of them are? Excuse me? We have the six opulences in my new quantity, yes. What else? 50 of the 64 qualities. Nice to know who you are. Don't you all want to know who you are? Who am I? We're expert linguists. What else? Truthful. We're truthful. What else? Strong. Strong. Yes. What else? Handsome. Handsome. Yes. Hmm? We're very renounced. Yes. We're all geniuses. Humble. We're all humble about our being geniuses, too. Yes. <laughs> expert. Expert. Ever youthful? Huh? We're pure. I mean, if you ever worry about self-esteem, go, go to the Nectar Devotion and read the first 50 qualities of Krishna. That's who we are. That's actually who we are. Isn't that nice? I mean, that's not who I seem to be right now, but that's who I actually am. 
You know, sometimes there's a person, and there's lots of stories about this, you know, both fictional and non-fictional. There'll be some person who has some incredible talent that they don't recognize in themselves, right? You've all read about these kind of stories? And someone comes along and you're like, wow, you're, you're an incredible dancer, or you're an incredible musician, or, right? Or you're an amazing mathematician, and the person didn't even know. Correct? And some person just brings it out in them. Or there, there's always stories about someone who's actually royalty and doesn't know. Yes? They're actually the prince or the princess, and they don't know. They were raised, you know, they were hidden away when they were a baby, and they had no idea. Of course, in the Mahabharata, this is the, the tragic story of Karna. Karna had no idea of his, of his royal and, and demigod lineage. He thought he was, he was from a low-class background, but actually he was, the son, he was the child of the sun god and of Kunti. Unfortunately, he found out a little too late. But so this, this kind of story, okay, you've all heard stories like this? Fiction, non-fiction? You know, you think you're just a beggar in the street, but actually you're the prince. <laughs> so it's kind of like that. Prabhupada gives this analogy all the time, that we're the children of a very rich person, and you know, somehow we've become like homeless wanderers. And someone has to come and remind us, hey, you know, this is who you are. So this is never extinguished. It's not that it's gone. It's, it's just covered. It's still there. All these qualities of ours are still there. So when, I, when we lived in Boston, the, Bo the Boston Temple, the building, whoever built this building, it's built so that practically anything you say in any part of the building can be heard in any other part of the building. <laughs> Which, once you become aware of that, and like the bathrooms are one on top of another, and the women's bathrooms, we never told the men that we could hear everything that they could say. <laughs> but we were all very quiet in the bathroom. So, you know. so the, the women lived on the, on the fourth floor, and uh, the men, the married women also lived there. So the husbands were allowed to visit their wives there. So our child was like one year old, and my husband was watching him in the hallway, and somehow he let him play with it. My husband let our child play with a glass jar, and so the baby broke the glass jar, and when I came to check on them, his hand was bleeding, and it wasn't that bad of a cut, but it looked terrible. I mean, it was just covered with blood, and I completely lost it, just like totally lost it. And I was screaming at my husband in the hallway, I don't remember what I said, but I'm sure it was not polite. So anyway, I was like screaming, and so this could be heard all over the whole, everybody in the entire temple could hear every single thing I was saying. So the town president called me into his office, and he said, you know, you shouldn't talk to your husband like that. But you love And then the town president said to me, you should be humble. And I said, but I'm not humble. That would be artificial. And he said, no, you are humble, being arrogant is artificial. And it was like, whoa, as my granddaughter would say, a mind blow. It was, I, I just, it turned my, it was one of those, you know, sometimes somebody says one thing in your life that just, oh, that's who I really am. Right? That's who I really am. And so again, it, it 
flickers. Just like, you know, some big mafia boss who's killed 50 people and ordered hits on 100 more and, you know, selling fentanyl to people and running prostitution rings. He might be really nice to his kids. Am I correct? He might give him charity somewhere. He might see some, you know, unfortunate person and, and actually feel compassion and help them out. Happens. You know, I'm sure, again, you've heard of, like, really evil serial killers and their spouse and their kids have no idea. They have no idea. He was such a loving husband and such a loving father and he took nice care of the dog. And the neighbors, they say, you know, and the other people at work and he went to work and he was compassionate. Am I correct? Yeah. And somebody can say, oh, that was all fake. But it isn't all fake. The, the qualities of the soul peak out even in very, very evil people. Or, you know, evil species. They're very, very cruel species. So I don't know if you've ever heard of scorpion mice. Any of you ever heard of scorpion mice? These are all the things I know because I used to teach Google for so many years. You know, <laughs> studying all these things about science and history and geography. So scorpion mice are mice that eat scorpions. That's pretty weird, right? Usually mice are vegetarians. But these mice eat scorpions, and they actually fight with scorpions, and they kill scorpions. Imagine how humiliating that is for a scorpion <laughs> killed by a mouse. <laughs> Must be really hard on their ego. They kill scorpions, and they, they can handle being stung by the scorpion over and over again. And they're not completely immune, but almost immune. They're nasty creatures. Imagine how nasty you'd have to be to fight with really nasty creatures. But they really love their children. The male and female scorpion mice, they have a very tight bond and they really, really take care of their children. And like some owl takes one of their, their little baby mice, the male and female scorpion mice, they're hugging each other and they're crying over the loss of their baby. Now, I don't know what good qualities poison ivy has. I haven't figured that one out. But I'm sure, I'm sure it has some role in the ecosystem. Something. Or maybe some of you have seen that documentary about bringing the wolves back to Yellowstone. Have you seen that? It's really worth seeing. So, you know, they, they, they killed all the wolves in Yellowstone thinking, well, they're nasty. We don't want nasty apex predators walking down the park. And then at some point, they reintroduced one pack of wolves into Yellowstone. And bringing the wolves in changed the whole ecosystem for the better. Like, because the wolves were there, the deer and, and the other prey animals, they left the open spaces which turned back into forests. And that changed the flow of the rivers, and that brought creatures like beavers, and, you know, bringing in these nasty, vicious, apex predators had a beneficial effect on the whole ecosystem. So there, there's something, there's some indication but especially in a human being, there's some indication that this is a soul 
that has great qualities. This is a soul that's actually pure and beautiful. And, and I would like to feel that these women who lived with Kamsa and Kamsa's brothers got to see that sometimes. They got to see, oh, actually, you know, this is somebody who's, who's kind and caring. I mean, the first verse almost sounds like they're talking about God, doesn't it? I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about preparing for this class, and she knows Sanskrit very well, so I was reading her the verse. I just didn't read the English, I just read them in Sanskrit. I said, that's about Kamsa. She's like, oh my. Alright, so what's the problem? Because I don't see this in myself. I don't see these, these great qualities in myself. And frankly, I don't see them regularly in most people with whom I interact. You know, the Karna Guna Sangasya. We're we're associating with the modes. And, and if you really want to know what our evil is, my dear friends, our evil is that we have intentionally knowingly, as pure souls, chosen to cover ourselves with nastiness. That is our evil. It's not exactly the evil that's our evil. It's our choice to cover ourselves with evil. Does, does this make sense to everybody? Just like in the drama yesterday, we had people who were devotees playing the part of demons. Now, I, as I've been in dramas, in order to play the part of a demon, you have to, to some extent, relate to that mentality. You can't play the part convincingly. And it's hard. When I used to play uh, Shrapanika in the Ramayana, it was, it was hard. I would be in the back, before I would go on to the stage, I'd have to sing the verses from, so much wealth do I have today, and I will get more according to my schemes. I am perfect. I would be reciting these verses to try to psych myself up to be a demon. No, but the problem is that in conditioned life, we actually start believing that we are those roles. And one thing you can think of it like is, I don't know the percentage, but a huge number of crimes are committed under the influence of an intoxicant. Huge number. You know, alcohol, cocaine, whatever. There's some people are not in their right mind. They're, but they're not excused. It's not that the judge said, oh, you were drunk. So the fact that, you know, you killed your mother while you were drunk, we're, we're, it's fine, you were drunk. Why? Because the person chose to drink. You follow? The person chooses to take cocaine. They choose to drink. They choose to take heroin. And once the person has taken this intoxicant, they become under the control of the intoxicant. Yes? We all know this. Either we've seen other people in the state or maybe we've experienced it ourselves. And once a person's under the control of that intoxicant, they're no longer themselves. So the same is true for things like lust and greed and anger. Trivia Dhamnara Karshina, Dhamnara Karshina, Dhamnara We've all been angry. Yes, everyone here has been angry. Yes, anybody make it this far in life without being angry? I don't think so. You probably can't make it to age one or two without being angry. And when we're angry, it's like we're crazy, isn't it? People, when they're angry, they say things that they would never say when they're not angry. They do things that they would never do when they're not angry. I went to someone's house once, you know, and they said, oh, that they put a picture on the wall because somebody had banged a hole in the wall. 
Pictures in an odd place. <laughs> or lust. Do people do crazy things when they're lusty? People ruin their whole lives when they're lusty. It's unbelievable. Isn't it? They, they throw away their whole life. I mean, the example I always give is Bill Clinton. It's like, what was he thinking? He was the president of the United States. Like, you know, you get to be president of the United States and you're going to throw it away for a sexual affair with an intern. Who would do that logically? Like, who would sit down in a sane frame of mind and say, you know, I'm the most important person in the world, and I think I'm going to throw it all away for a sexual affair. But that's, that's more greed. You know, how many people commit horrific crimes and end up in jail because they're greedy? So those are all, they're like intoxicants. But we willingly, Krishna says to the demons, come ashraya. They take shelter of their lust. And he says also early in the Gita, ahankara ashraya. We think, and Raghav Daskos, when he talks about this in Manashiksha in verse 6, it's my lust. It's not like, you know, there's not some devil there. It's not like Maya saying, you know, ha ah, and it doesn't feel like that. Like, that's why Arjuna says, why do I do things against my own will that I know are wrong, as if I've been forced? We feel like we're being forced. We feel like lust is forcing us, and greed is forcing us, and anger is forcing us, and envy is forcing us. They're compared to wits. But they're not. We're putting ourselves under their shelter. And we're, do we're doing that voluntarily. And by the way, we're doing it knowingly. As much as a person knowingly takes an intoxicant. We, not, we may not feel that we're doing it knowingly, but we are. We're thinking these things will help me. My false ego, my lust, my anger, my greed will help me. And then we become more or less like Kamsa. So how is Kamsa described here? That he caused pain to innocent creatures. So Prabhupada one time defined the difference between material and spiritual. That spiritual is you're happy when others are happy, you're sad when others are sad. And material is you're happy when others are sad, and you're sad when others are happy. And he says, we don't like to admit this, but this is the actual fact. I mean, I'm okay if you're all happy, just not as happy as I am. You can have money, just not quite as much as me. You can have a, an attractive spouse, but mine has to be more attractive. You can be smart, but not as smart as me. You can have a nice car, but not quite as nice as me. Now, if we're really, really, really evil, we enjoy being the instrument of others' distress. And all crimes are in that category. I enjoy taking your money. I enjoy raping you. I enjoy burning down your house. I enjoy killing you. I get pleasure from causing you distress. That is the, yes, is that? So a lower level of evil is not just happy when you're miserable. And a higher level of evil is I'm happy when I'm the one who makes you miserable. Now, we may not be stealing, raping, burning, and killing, 
But we probably enjoy sometimes being the agent of someone else's suffering. And if you don't think that's true, ask Krishna to show you where it's true. Do we sometimes enjoy making other people feel stupid or incompetent? Or taking the last record, knowing very well that there was somebody else waiting in line for it. Do we sometimes do that and, and say, oh wow, I was so clever, I got there before anybody else, so I got the last piece of cheesecake, and nobody else knew the new persona was being served It's the same thing. My prophet says, well, you're stealing a cucumber, or you're stealing a diamond. It's the same thing. I'm taking pleasure in someone else's mystery. And I'm taking pleasure in causing other people's misery. You know, we're probably not like torturers in a Nazi concentration camp. So we might think, well, I'm not doing this. You know, I'm not torturing people in the concentration camps with painful medical experiments. So I'm a nice person. But do I ever take pleasure in being the agent of others' suffering? And of course, all of meat-eating is in that category, right? That's what meat-eating is. I'm taking pleasure in the suffering of another being. And I'm taking pleasure in being the cause of the suffering of that other being. You know, the people going to McDonald's obviously are the indirect cause. They're still the cause. And they don't think, unlike a Nazi war criminal, they're not thinking that when they buy their hamburger. Right? They're not thinking, well, like Mangalore. But they are. It's not any different. So what are we going to do? Well, first of all, we should see that all living entities are sold, that even if some living entity performs heinous activities, they're still the soul. And they're still ultimately good. And everyone has a chance of reformation. Now, not everyone's going to be reformed in this minute or this hour or this life, but everybody ultimately has a chance of reformation. You know, Prabhupada, even before he started his son, he was doing prison food. And that we have a chance of reformation. We are not this evil that's superfluous to us. We're not it at all. Not, not at all. In, in no way. We're, 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 like, we're like a person identifying with an evil computer game character. And the, the, it's just not us at all. And we can choose, just like we have choose to, chosen to put ourselves under the control of Maya, we can choose to put ourselves under the control of Krishna. We have that choice. And Prabhupada says we're being given that choice imperceptibly 24 hours a day. We can always choose to be who we really are. You know, right now in 2023, it's a big thing, you know, be who you really are. But this is who we really are. And we can choose that. We really can. It, it seems very difficult. It seems very hard to choose to be a soul. It seems that Maya is, is forcing us to act in a way that does not accord with our real nature. But what does Krishna say? That Unlike an intoxicant that you have to just wait until it wears off, you're kind of just stuck with it. Krishna can immediately remove the veil of Maya. Now what he usually does is he removes it a little bit and says, how do you think about this? He takes it away a little bit and says, what do you think? And when 
the first thing that happens when it's removed a little bit is we see, I am the one making the choice. My dear friends, most of us don't want to see that I'm the one making the choice. And so when Krishna removes the Maya a little bit and we see that, we say, cover it up again. Don't show me that I'm actually responsible. But if we can see that I'm the one making the choice, then we know that I'm the one making the choice. And if I'm the one making the choice, I can choose the other. So Krishna moves a little to respond with yes. Now that I see that I'm the one making the choice, I will choose rightly. And then Krishna is happy and he moves more and more and more until finally, again, we are fully who we are. And thankfully, this is also what happened to Kamsa. Shri Prabhupada Ki.